As I was preparing uh, to preach this week, there, there are really kind of three things that, that I sort of had in view as I, I prepared. The, the first and, and maybe most apparent is, is that today we celebrate and, and remember All Saints Day, uh, giving thanks for, for the lives of those faithful people who have gone before us. Uh, the second one was as I was looking back at some of the, the sermons that I preached here recently, I uh, realized that I had gotten a bit long-winded. <laughs> and, and the third one is that we have a, a congregational meeting afterwards. Uh, I feel like I, I challenged myself uh, to, to have a little bit of an exercise in, in brevity uh, here this morning. Uh, and, and thankfully kind of with that in mind, uh, that epistle reading that we have is, is just that. Uh, it's very, very brief. Uh, but yet we find that in these three short verses from John's epistle, uh, we found actually a, a great deal of, of depth. We, we found these three verses, they, they have these rather profound statements uh, about who we are. But not only who we are, but, but what God is, is calling us to be and, and changing us into. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a look once again at, at these verses. Uh, and with these verses in mind, I want us to ask ourselves, what does God intend to do with us now that he has made us his children? What does God intend to do with us now that he has made us his children. So read verse 1 once again. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So St. John says here that, that the kind of love that the Father has for us, it actually accomplishes something. That when He poured out that love for us on the cross of His Son, Jesus, that He actually made us His children. That this is, is what we commonly refer to in the church as, as adoption. That we who were once enemies of God, alienated from Him because of our sin, cut off from God and having no inheritance, we, because of that great love, with which he loved us, have been made a part of his own family. And because of that love, we are in fact children of God. And the reason that the world maybe doesn't understand us and, and some of the things that we do, the reason that perhaps at times the world even hates us, is because, well, ultimately because they don't know who our Father is. And so John continues this, this teaching of adoption in verse 2, saying, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. So St. John says very plainly here for us, we are God's children right now. We're not waiting on this. This is true for us right now, in spite of what our sin may tell us, in spite of what the enemy would have us believe about ourselves. We are right now in the present, no matter the ugliness of our lives, we are by faith God's children. But we're also not what we will be 
We're still waiting on something. God still has more in store for us. He continues to seek to refashion us, reshape us, make us in the likeness of His Son, Jesus. Now what God intends to do when He returns is, is to make us like Himself. And we have seen the image of who God is in His Son, Jesus. And when He appears, He will make us like Him. And then John concludes this whole idea that everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That that where purity is discovered is not in outward washing or rituals. That, That where we find the cleanliness demanded for us to actually live in God's presence, it's not in outward action, but it's actually in an inward transformation that occurs through faith in Jesus. When we stop putting our hope in ourselves, when we stop putting our hopes in the world, when we stop putting our hopes in anything that we could do, but start putting our hope in Jesus and what He has done. And so with those verses in mind, I ask you again, what does God intend to do with us now that we are His children? And I believe, quite simply, what he intends to do with us is he intends to remake us. He he intends to to refashion us. He intends to to purify us. He he intends to, to make us in the likeness of his own son, Jesus. That while, yes, we are God's children right now, he's not done with us. He still has more in store for us. He still intends us to make us into these brand new creatures. And he will continue to work to do that until the day that he returns to complete that. As I think of of this picture of, of God refashioning us and remaking us in the likeness of his son Jesus, it brings to mind some some words from, from Martin Luther. And I first encountered this idea really kind of in the very early years of of my time at seminary. And it's this response that Luther gives in response to the question, what makes a theologian? Now, when when he uses the the word theologian, he's not referring to, to men with like long beards and robes sitting in an ivory tower talking about questions that no one really actually cares about. But rather, what he talks about when he's talking about theologians, he's talking very simply about people who know God, who have experienced God, and speak rightly about him. When he's talking about theologians, he's talking about each and every one of us. He's talking about faithful disciples of Jesus who seek to follow him in all that they do. And contrary to some others in in that time period, who thought that that the goal of Christian spirituality was sort of to ascend up out of life, to have sort of this ecstatic experience with the divine. Luther believed that, that Christian spirituality, that when we are immersed in prayer and the study of God's word, that what that will do is it will actually lead us more deeply into life here on earth. And so with that in mind, he suggests 
That when we're immersed in prayer, when we're immersed in the study of God's word, what will follow is not sort of some some amazing mountaintop experience, but what will actually follow when we're leading lives of, of Christian holiness is temptation. That what we will be immersed in is, is temptation and affliction from the enemy. He says this. says, Thirdly, after prayer and study, there is temptation. Anfechtung in the German. This is the touchstone that teaches you not only to know and understand, but also to experience how right and true, how sweet and lovely, how powerful and comforting God's word is. Wisdom above all wisdom. You know, one thing that that I have recognized is that I think we often think about Christian holiness and, and Christian spirituality. We think about lives as God's children. In such a way that, that leads us to believe that, that growing in holiness is almost more like growing in independence. That, that the, the deeper we get and, and the longer we walk the path of discipleship, that we essentially need grace less. That we learn to rely on ourselves and our abilities and, and the ability that we have to, to please God and, and do good works. We learn to rely on that more and now we, we don't need God as much as we maybe did when we first started out. But I actually think it's, it's quite the opposite. That growing in Christian holiness is actually learning to rely on God more, not less. It is learning to recognize how deeply we need grace. It's learning to actually be children who trust in their Father. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. I mean, that is the the pinnacle, the, the peak picture we have of holiness. But what is the life of Jesus pattern for us? It, it shows us one who was completely and utterly reliant upon the Father. I mean, think about it. Everything from his willingness to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary all the way to the cross. Jesus displays for us nothing more than a life completely trusting in the will of his good and gracious Father. I think that's a a radically different picture, not only of what it means to to live a a Christian and and holy life, but I think it's also a very different picture of what it means for us to battle against temptation, to to battle against those those afflictions that spirituality will lead us into. You see, because I think we often approach both of these with this very American, kind of pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps mentality. That, that for me, Christian spirituality and, and living a holy life, it, it's about sort of applying the right efforts and, and learning to work a little bit harder and, and do a little bit more and, and create a, a better situation for myself. And if I do all these things, then God will pour out some sort of spiritual or material blessing. And the same thing is true when I'm facing temptation, that I just need to employ that same effort, that same willpower, and if I do that, I can overcome the afflictions that come my way. 
the suffering and temptation that I endure. All I need is, is to just grip my teeth and, and try a little bit harder, and then I can get through it. But the picture that we're given in the life of Jesus throughout the Scriptures, in the, in the words of Luther, is that the, the real Christian maturity... It's found in in learning to rely more deeply on the promises of God. That life as his child is, is being just that, learning to be a child whose life is lived in the hands of a gracious father. And that's where we begin to discover Christ-likeness. That's where we begin to discover what it means to follow Jesus, to be transformed in his likeness. And when we begin to see temptations and and trials, not as these things that we have to overcome to please God, but rather these instances where God is trying to teach us and instruct us to depend upon Him more. When we begin to see them in that light, that gives us a very radical, radically different picture of what those temptations, what those afflictions are actually there for. I mean, think about the freedom that that gives when we're encountering temptations of all kinds. That I don't have to overcome this in order to earn God's favor or know that God is pleased with me. But rather, in the midst of that, I can recognize and and believe and know that God is actually already pleased with me, not because of my ability to overcome this, But he's pleased with me because of his grace. He's pleased with me because of the love that he's poured out in Jesus. And in the midst of that trial, in the midst of those temptations, he's trying to lead me to discover that truth, to know it more deeply. And that the remedy for the guilt that we experience in life, it's not getting it right next time. It's not righting the wrongs that we've done. No, the remedy for the guilt that we experience over past mistakes, it's learning to lean more heavily on the cross of Jesus. It's learning to to flee to the forgiveness that's poured out for us. It's there that we learn to discover just how beautiful God's Word is. It's there that we learn to discover the depth of the Gospel. That God would love me so deeply that even when I'm in the pit of sin, He calls me His child. You know, I thought about trying to, to sort of list maybe the, the number of sins that, that I think maybe people are, are, are struggling with. And, and then I thought about it, and, and I thought about, you know, even though I, I think very highly of the people at Lamb of God, that, that I know myself and, and I know humanity well enough that I, I know that people are carrying all sorts of junk in here this morning. And I know that people are wrestling with all sorts of afflictions, all sorts of temptations that I could probably not even scratch the surface by trying to list them. And so I thought that, that maybe it would be better served by simply asking, what is that thing that, that afflicts you this morning? What is that, that temptation that just won't seem to go away? 
Oh, what is that, that, that piece of, of suffering that, that you keep crying out to God, Lord, take this away? And, and before you begin asking how you're supposed to battle back against that, ask, what is it that God might be trying to teach you to trust in more deeply? What is it about the gospel that God wants you to discover, not just in your head, but, but to actually experience with your life? How is that temptation, that unfectum that Luther talks about, how is that present? How, how is God maybe trying to use that to lead you to a deeper discovery of just how sweet his forgiveness is? How is he trying to lead you to flee back to the cross where you discover that God would there give his own son so that you would know even when you're in the depths of sin, he still calls you his child? You know, today we, we celebrate All Saints Day and we remember the lives of, of people that we've lost recently, people that we've maybe lost long ago. And we remember those people and, and we give thanks for the example that they set for us. But we don't give thanks for them because they were perfect in the face of temptation. We give thanks for them because they're people who in the face of temptation, in the face of trials, they endured to the end by faith. And now, because of that, they rest in the loving arms of their Savior Jesus. And that's precisely the call that, that you and I have today, to continue to endure by faith to confront and, and battle back against trials of all kinds, against the temptations that just won't go away. To endure them all by faith. Uh, perhaps one of the most influential theologians of, of the 20th, 20th century was a, a man by the name of, of Karl Barth. He was a, a Swiss theologian, and, and he put it like this. He said, God must burn us all the way down to faith. God is burning us all the way down to faith. He is refining us and reshaping us until there is nothing left but faith and faith alone. And so he calls you to, to endure those things, to confront those things, not by your own will or efforts, but by faith. Knowing that in those temptations, in those trials, he's refining you, he's reshaping you, he's preparing you for what you will be on the day you return. He returns. But by faith also know this. Know what he calls you right now. That while, yes, we are still waiting for something, we also have the promise that right now, because of his love for us, he calls each and every one of us children of God. Amen?